0: Your work life, all of our work lives. Welcome to Work with Marty Nemco. One of the things that listeners tell me they like is when I talk about some under-the-radar careers, careers you've really never heard of or uh, forgot about or that are little hidden gems. Um, whether or not you're looking for a career, most people, especially in this era of uh, unprecedented low unemployment, uh, we've, it's been described as truly full unemployment for the first em- full employment for the first time in a long time. Um, so it's not so much that people are looking to uh, uh, to find a job, or sometimes I guess when the unemployment rate is low, they look to change careers because they feel that they've got uh, finally some more power uh, to uh, to f- to change careers because the job market isn't quite as as tight. Um, but also a lot of people are, are, who are listening are not looking for a new job or a new career, but they find it fun to hear about some, some of these under-the-radar careers. So um, both tonight and next week, I'm devoting at least part of the show to um, describing some of these under-the-radar careers, and I put them in categories. And the first is I want to describe 10 what I call big impact careers, Unless you're at risk of poverty, in which case you'll take any job, probably, and understandably so, most people want their job to be impactful. Of course, all ethical work is impactful from ditch-digger on up, but if you're thinking <coughs> higher, maybe this little list will help. These 10 careers, uh, from at least where I sit, are likely to yield major impact. First is what's called program evaluators. not again, it's kind of an under-the-radar career. But program evaluators are core to determining which innovative programs to fund, which programs to expand, which ones to cut. And programs could be anything from uh, an education intervention in the San Francisco Unified School District, which programs to expand, cut, uh, change. Or it could be evaluating different approaches to tax collection or to gene therapy, Now, obviously, the ripple effect of a program evaluator is huge, which is my big criterion for big impact careers. Uh, Because when you do expand good programs and you do cut bad ones, and you do in the evaluation, not only are you cutting or expanding, but you have suggestions for improving it, that can benefit countless people. If you're interested in evaluation, um, you might Google American Evaluation Association. The next big impact career I want to talk about is genetic researcher, Um, especially on preventing or curing the big diseases like depression, autism, and, of course, in the physiological domain, cardiovascular disease, cancer, and diabetes. Now, uh, unfortunately, pharmacological and psychotherapeutic and behavioral approaches, at least the psychological ones like depression and autism, aren't yet adequate, so... Gene therapy would be a valuable addition to the fight, again, saving countless lives and improving countless lives. Unfortunately, again, we try to be realistic here, a doctoral degree, probably including a postdoc two years, was just a hunting license for most researcher-in-charge jobs. Um, I'll never forget, I was the uh, invited uh, speaker at uh, at the uh, Society for Neuroscience conference, And uh, I expected it was just talking about careers for for neuroscientists. And I was expecting, you know, 25, 50 people. It was a concurrent session. It wasn't the uh, plenary session. There were 500 people there, most of whom were looking for a job. And they lined up afterwards. They were all, despite PhDs, were looking. So I'm not saying it's easy to get a job. But I do still think that over the arc, over the work span of your life, especially if you're a younger person, if you're talking. if you, and I know many of the listeners to the show are older. But if you've got a young adult who's in high school or, or college now, undecided about major or career, truthfully, uh, I would, if they are science, STEM-oriented, it's very math-oriented. Science is not like fuzzy little animals. It's it's really math and physics. But if they are that oriented that way, uh, I would certainly encourage them to consider uh, genetic research and probably a Ph.D., The third high-impact career, and as appropriate for the San Francisco Unified School District, is a teacher or tutor of especially high-potential kids. Helping kids who we call intellectually gifted live up to their potential, that, of course, can yield great ripple effect. If they fully flower, if they live up to their potential, those kids as adults are the most likely, not the only ones, but the most likely ones to cure our diseases, to create more useful products, and to become... Wise leaders, maybe wiser leaders than we currently have. If you want more information on that, you can Google National Association for Gifted Kids. Oh, by the way, on genetics Researcher, the association for that, if you'd like to Google that, is American Society for Human Genetics. Next on my uh, list of 10 high-impact, big-impact careers is politician or political campaign manager. American government is simply enormous. It, it it employs 22 million people with an annual budget, as per the, recess, the census back in 2013, there's no more recent data, of $66 billion. We can't contemplate how much money that is. So politicians' votes have tremendous impact on the nation's 330 million people. And my best shot, if you want more information, if you just simply Google politician and the word careers, you'll find stuff. At least, you know. Again, I love Googling because it's free. It's highly curated. The top search results in Google tend to be the the ones who are what I call most backlinked. In other words, they've been linked to the most people, to the most other websites. So I really, it's my go-to first first choice. Next, fifth on my list of big impact careers is lobbyist. For better or worse, lobbyists, whether for industry or for activist groups. They have great impact on the laws and policies that affect America's populace. And again, uh, I would just Google lobbyist careers if you want more on that. The uh, next on my list of big impact careers is simply a manager, a leader, depending on how how high up you are. As you're well aware, a competent and wise leader benefits their employees, and it benefits the quality of the organization's products or services, which, of course, indirectly then benefits the customers and any other stakeholders. If you want more information about management, Google American Management Association. I mean, for example, a product manager. If they're, I'm not talking about some crap that nobody needs. Let's just take the most extreme example: tobacco, um, a harmful product, obviously. But a product manager for a make-a-difference product, like let's say an improved mental health app, that holds the promise of bringing mental health services, maybe including addiction recovery, to even very low-income people worldwide. So um, there was an article I found on this. You can just Google uh, what is the product manager career path, an excellent article on that. It's, It's got some generalizability to management in general. Next on my list of big impact careers is executive coach. People who help managers and leaders become more competent also have great ripple effect. And some of my most rewarding work, I am a, a, a kind of an executive coach, career coach, I don't know what the hell I call myself, but uh, some of my most rewarding work certainly is in helping leaders to improve their s- skills in strategy development, their skills in communication, and their skills in time management, stress management. Uh, if you want more information about that, Google International Coaching Federation. I've got three more of these big impact careers. Uh, the next one is environmental economist. Not that consensus always Right. But at least the current consensus is that climate change is at least partly man-made and is dangerous to the world. Environmental economists impose rigorous analysis on the important cost-benefit and liabilities, including incursions of human freedom, in, of the various attempts that we're making to cool the planet. If you want more information, there was an article I found called What is an Environmental Economist? You might Google that. Next, and this is kind of a flip side of that, maybe, I don't know. Uh, It's nuclear engineer, big impact careers. Reducing carbon emissions is key to controlling global warming. But solar and wind and geothermal, they simply produce insufficient amounts of energy. So there is a growing consensus that nuclear energy, which can produce a limitless quantity of clean, fossil fuel-free energy, must be part of the energy mix. But... How to create power plants that are safer and less costly. Well, that is the nuclear engineer's critical job. Want more info on that? Just Google the term nuclear engineer and the word careers. And the last one is, alas, in terms of big impact, is terrorism expert. Whether it's a programmer or a cryptographer, that is a code breaker who stays a step ahead of the hackers, they're key to preventing break-ins to the banking system, Break-ins to our electric grid. Of course, that would cause years-long devastation to millions of people, maybe billions of people. And as weapons of mass destruction are ever more miniaturized, for example, mutated, highly communicable bioviruses, the bioterrorism expert is actually key to the world's survival. Because detection and rapid response after an attack are crucial and difficult, researchers in that area may have if I had somebody twisted my arm, I'd say they may have the greatest potential for making a difference. Again, if you're a STEM person. If you want more information on that, you need to Google things like bioterrorism and national security. Now, of course, these 10, I may have made it 11, I don't know. Um, These careers are only a tiny sample of the careers that can make a big difference, and some other person might well have chosen a different dozen. But if only to trigger your own ideas, I hope that this little mini-talk about these this ten or eleven whatever will help you to make a bigger difference as you make your career choices or that the career choices of someone you love now, I'd like to give out the phone number um This shows one of its central purposes to help you so if you have a work related problem either because you're trying to choose a new career trying to start a business, running a business already and it's not doing that well or you're trying to take it, as they say, to the next level or you're unemployed, you're curled up with a vape pen and don't know, you know, you're, you're hopeless and despondent. Um, any of those things, as long as it's related to your work life, are fair game for what I call a workover. You can call in and while the uh, lines, are, when I first give out the number, the lines are available so you don't have to stay in hold a long time. And I like to, um, I will give a Free copy of my book Careers for Dummies, autographed, for the second person to get on the air. So, if you needed more incentive than just a free workover from me here at Work with Marty Demko and K L W, the second person to call will get a free copy uh, of my book Careers for Dummies. Okay. So now I want to. I'm, I'm going to talk more about different kind of under the radar careers in mean, a minute. I'm going to talk about uh, future ready careers. Not a minute. In a few minutes. Uh, Future-ready careers, uh, kind of ideas that I think are in sync with societal megatrends. But I want to break it up, lest I just be presenting career -career lists. So I want to um, talk about what my most cited, C-I-T-E-D, cited tips are. In general, I did a little Google searching on my name and various thing, topics and uh, tips that I have often given and that my clients and friends say have been useful, and I looked at which ones came up most often. So, between the anecdotal evidence and the Google search, there are three tips of mine that have been most often cited by other people. And for those of you who have been regular listeners to the show, I apologize because I certainly have said these all on the air, um, but not a bad time to, uh, to revisit perhaps the most uh, those that people seem to consider most useful. The first is to follow the traffic light rule. Do you know someone who's long-winded? How do you feel about him or her? Chances are it's not good. Now, consider the possibility that other people consider you long-winded. If you sense or even have been told that you're a Billy Blowhard or a Chatty Cathy, you could do worse than to follow what I call the traffic light rule. During your utterance's first 30 seconds, your light's green. During the second 30 seconds, the chances are increasing that the person would rather talk than for you to continue blabbing. And at the one-minute mark, your light's red. Yeah, there is the rare time you're going to want to run a red light, like when you're telling an anecdote that you're sure is interesting the person. But most times you risk boring the person or frustrating the person and, and appearing egocentric. I used to think that I merely needed to teach my long-winded clients the traffic light rule, but it turns out that at least, at minimum, many of them need practice. They just don't have a good sense of when they've spoken for more than 30 or 60 seconds. So you might, if you're one of these you know, long-winded people, you might want, and you want to try the traffic light rule, you might want to practice with a timer. Maybe it's the one on your phone, maybe it's kitchen time or whatever. But sometimes, even that's not enough. Some people know they're long-winded, but they don't very much care. A typical response to something like, uh, oh, talking something out helps me, and if they're a little bored by it, that's no big deal. Well, I can't force such a person to change. The best I've been able to do is say something like, uh, well, if you're willing to possibly pay that price, okay usually my not arguing about it with them results in their monitoring themselves more carefully and then they reduce, well, they don't eliminate, but they reduce their blathering ways. So that's the first of the three what seems to be the most cited tips that I've given, whether it be on the radio or in writing or to my clients. The second of the three most cited tips is beware the Peter Pan syndrome. That syndrome is named because as Peter Pan felt, the person won't grow up. And some people just aren't ready to grow up. Even if they're 30 or older, they figure they still got a long time to be a responsible adult. They may invoke excuses for their inaction like, fear of failure, I fear rejection, I fear success. I want to rebel against the system. But sometimes, it really, it's mere laziness. You would be wise to limit your involvement with people who are afflicted with the Peter Pan Syndrome. Not surprisingly, they can be frustrating, they can impede your life, work life, or personally, or even drag you into codependency. And be especially vigilant if you're one of those many people who's prone to rescuer fantasies. Many sufferers of the the Peter Pan syndrome, they only claim to want to grow up. It's cushier to just hang out. And if, perchance, you are the one who's suffering from the Peter Pan syndrome, it might or might not Help to remind yourself that you've been given the gift of life, which imposes on you a responsibility to earn that gift of life, and that means supporting yourself and contributing, even if only in a small way, to your sphere of influence. As I've said earlier, all ethical work's are contributory, but especially so is work that, as I also had earlier, has a ripple effect. I'll give just a couple examples: teaching, librarianship playing even a small role in the development or distribution of a good product or service. And what can also help actually is the the third and final of the most cited tips um, that uh, the Google search and people tell me has been useful. And that is to stop looking back, take the next step forward. I grew up knowing dozens of people who survived the Holocaust, including both of my parents. And oddly, the ones who seemed mentally healthiest and most productive rarely went to Holocaust remembrance events. They focused on moving forward. And it was my dad who said, Martin, never look back. Always take the next step forward. Look, I know that each and every one of us has had crap happen to us. We've had a parent who mistreated us. We've had a spouse who left us, a boss who fired us. But I have had the privilege of having been career coached to now 5,700 people, including some of the most successful people on the planet and some real strugglers. And one of the key differentiators, in addition to intelligence and drive, which are, of course, crucial, is that the successful ones, after just quickly revisiting a trauma to see if there are any lessons that could be learned, those successful ones are far more likely to follow my father's advice. Again, it it's stop looking back, Take the next step forward. Anyway, those are my three most cited tips. If you have a uh, work-related problem and you would like me to take a shot at it, the phone number here, work with Marty Nemco and KALW, 415-841-4134. That's the phone number for what I call a workover. It's an attempt to help you with your problem, Take help you take a baby step, if not a giant step, forward in your work life. Phone number again, 415-841-4134. Now, as promised... Um, I'm devoting parts of this show and the next show to under-the-radar careers that I believe are worthy intrinsically and also are of a certain category. And so I talked about big impact careers at the top of the show. I now want to talk about what I call future-ready careers. These are ideas that are in sync with societal megatrends. It may even give you a chance of getting in on the ground floor of some next big things. Unfortunately, because these ideas by definition are cutting edge, if not downright futuristic, most of them are research-oriented, which does tend to require an advanced degree. Because a lot of the listeners to this show, and frankly a lot of people in my private practice, tend to be psychologically oriented, I'm going to start with psychology-related predictions. First is what I call parsing mental illness. Terms like depression and schizophrenia and autism, these are going to soon likely be seen as catch-alls for lots of different diseases and etiologies, that is, causations. DNA testing and more macrobiological testing, such as testing of neural circuits, that's going to enable more precise diagnosis and, in turn, more effective treatment. Now, of course, those kind of approaches to research is also going to facilitate what's typically called precision medicine when we're talking about the physical health domain. Now, this, again, I'm looking at my crystal ball here, and who the hell knows, but I believe that the U.S. is going to, sooner than later after the 2020 election, in the next year or two after that, is likely going to provide what is called, euphemistically, health care for all, without regard to whether a person is paying into the system, again, the so-called Medicare for all. And that's going to demand major cost controls, because there's fewer people paying in the system to covering more people in a system that's already overwhelmed. So... Tests like blood tests, urine tests, you know, swabbing your cheek to suck your DNA, imaging tests—they're far less expensive than, for example, internal biopsies and exploratory surgeries. So that kind of research that I'm talking about, this this uh, um, look for uh, DNA and more biological markers, like uh, uh, will be likely to be very well funded, which will greatly increase, in my judgment the job prospects in that field. So people choosing a career related to precision medicine may well uh, end up not only getting a great job but dramatically improve how disease is prevented, diagnosed, and treated. The next future-ready career idea is what I call gender-fluid and contractual romantic relationships. Let me unpack that. Sexual binarism, that is, you know, uh, man or woman, straight or gay that's being replaced by sexual fluidity in which people can vary over time and in their degree of homosexuality versus heterosexuality, monogamy versus polyandry and so on. Also, the lifetime marriage has de facto long given way to shorter relationships (laughs) to wit the 50% divorce rate among those who pledge fidelity until death do us part. Of course, Some of those shorter relationships are going to remain ad hoc from, you know, a quick hookup to living together at will. But many people have a big desire for security, and that is going to increase the use of contracts that specify the commitment's length, the nature of the fidelity, the financial obligations, who's going to be responsible for what, and their intent regarding kids. Those new forms of commitment are going to impose some challenges in addition to opportunities. So some of today's, say, marriage and family therapists might well morph into specialists in gender-fluid couples or in uh, couples in new contractual arrangements. Uh, I think that's a very future-ready career. A little bit related uh, in terms of a future-ready career, concept or an idea that's going to give rise to careers, is artificial intelligence romantic partners. Half of those, till death do us part, partners part. And many who stay together do that less for love than, say, for the kids, or simply because of inertia. And atop all that, it seems that relations between the sexes have worsened, really, acceleratingly, in the last few years. And this doesn't seem to me like a pendulum swing. It seems more like a trend. So, as the technology improves... The artificial intelligence driven romantic partner. As you remember that movie, uh, it was an Oscar nominated movie. It was called Her. There was this, you know, uh, like a clock radio that was actually just kind of a computer. But there's actually incarnations now called Emma. Google that. Emma and look at romantic, Google Emma robotic robotic, uh, romantic partner, Emma, you'll see it's they're able to have quite interesting conversations. It's going to clearly advance much further. So I can envision careers as a purveyor of such AI-driven romantic partners, if you will, as well as in counseling people regarding issues that derive from such, quote, relationships. The next future-ready career area that I wanted to talk about is what I call i give you a little humor of this. It's called Weed grits, like uh, pork you pig. You know, there's been a lot of euphoria about the legalization of recreational marijuana. All I do is see uh, billboards as I drive on one and one to get here. But it's already starting to give way to the realities of what has occurred in the five years since legalization in Colorado, as well as the acceleratingly frightening research from unbiased, like, you know, university medical school researchers. And you know and, and the New York Times this week had a you know a big expose about the lung related sudden damages and deaths to young people who were vaping. as with alcohol, family members are very often desperate to do something to get their loved ones who are weed well say weed weakened, get them uh, get them uh, cleaned up. so again, staying with these psychology related future directions. So a, a counselor type who specializes in substance abuse will, alas, likely find him or herself with plenty of clients. Now let's leave the psychology world. Um, again, because this is KLW's own, the station's owned by the school district. Um, on, I want to talk about education. Um, online education has been around a long time, but it's failed a lot because um, of the low completion rate. Um, but if I'm really being candid, the overall field of education has had the motility of an iceberg. But the EduBerg is starting to feel the heat from online education in which students aren't limited. And I'm talking now about college mainly, mainly. not exclusively. In which students aren't limited to the one or two instructors at one institution who happens to be teaching that course and happens to be teaching at an acceptable time. Another source of the heat from outside is those low-cost modules on the students' or the employees' topic of interest that are available online at websites like Coursera or Udemy or Udacity or LinkedIn Learning. But as I said, online education still suffers from a very low completion rate. And that is largely because they've attempted to port standard courses online. It's, you know, it's like... Taking a lousy novel, and first you wrote it with a pen, and now you're writing it with a computer, still a lousy novel. But future iterations of online education, what I'm calling online education 2.0, are going to be far more immersive, far more simulation-centric, of course, individually paced. And to accommodate our ever more diverse society, it's going to be instantly translated into many languages. Go try asking your live professor to do that. And I believe that this online education 2.0 is not just going to be used in higher education or in uh, employer-provided training, but as an ever-larger part of K-12 education. For example, algebra. It's seen, at least today, as a needed gateway course for the college-bound. It's too often taught by teachers who are better in math than they are at teaching that difficult and potentially dry subject. I mean, it's pretty damn hard to get anybody interested in quadratic equations or simultaneous equations or deriving geometric theorems. But I'm particularly intrigued by the idea of such world-class online courses in ethics. We all know ethics courses have been long required, but too often the students can get an A in the course, but they get an F in ethics in the re- in real life. So I really think a much more immersive simulation-centric next-generation online education Is going to offer a great deal of opportunity for the education oriented human being. Another topic that cries out for a transformative approach uh, in a course is a course on the meaning of life. I do believe that we are going to be having to tighten our belts much further. There's going to be reduced income and reduced employment opportunities because of part-time, good employment, they'll be crappy employment opportunities, but the the amount of good, full-time, benefited, two weeks off, work 37 and a half hours a week, those are going to shrink. And so more people are going to be required to live a less materialistic lifestyle. And a transformational course in living a meaning-centered rather than materialism-centered life, it could be absolutely essential to ensure citizen happiness and to reduce violent social upheaval. So... In total, I see large demand for developers of online 2.0 courses and trainings, as well as teachers of them. Now I want to talk about another factor in future-ready careers, and this is not a radical idea at all, but it's so central I really need to include it and that is the centrality of data science. But before I go on with that, I'd like to invite you to call. If you have a work-related problem, I do what to call workovers here on the show Work with Marty Nemco on KALW. Um, whatever your work-related problem, uh, the harder the better, frankly. Uh, the price is certainly right, zero. The phone number here if you'd like a workover, the phone number here at KALW is 415-841-4134. That's 415 415-841- 841 41, 34. And now, getting back to this notion that I'm talking about, the centrality of data science. If knowledge is power, data is nuclear power. Ever-improving artificial intelligence-driven data mining is going to increasingly automate and boost the quality of researchers and lawyers and physicians and psychologists efforts to unearth actionable recommendations like identifying biomarkers that are more predictive of disease and of what treatments will work. Also data science is going to enable us to better predict likely sources of terrorism and detect attacks like using biosensors. So data science careers should remain hot, they're already enormously hot. But I need to say again, in the spirit of true candor, true data scientists, not just people who call themselves data scientists, have really quite high level skills, not just in programming and statistics, but really are good, rigorous thinkers. For example, the ability to see promising data sets in a mountain of data. I've got more, but I want to um, uh, go to the phones. I always like to prioritize. You'll give it the phone number again, though. If you've got a work related problem, the phone number here, work with Marty Nemco, 415 841. Four one three four. That's four one five eight four one forty one thirty four. And now to the phones. Welcome to the show. It's your turn on the air. How can I help you? Hello, it's you. Hello. Hi.
1: Hey. Uh. What do you recommend for somebody who's looking for direction if they tried their hand at a career and and it didn't pan out, and now they're gonna completely switch gears?
0: Okay, great. Why don't you not the great thing that it didn't work out, but great I can help you. Um, why don't you tell me a, a few clues about who you are, the things you're good at, the things you know a lot about, the things you care about, the things you you're just interested in.
1: Well, I'm, I'm probably interested in passionate about like the environment and sustainability. However, I did not get a degree in that. I got a degree in anthropology.
0: Okay, and what? Some people are just generically interested in saving the planet. Others are more specific. There are, they're interested in water, land, pollution, policy, uh, at the ground level, uh, recycling. You know, where is your either expertise or interest? Or is it across the board?
1: Uh, I think, like, more like sustainability, like reducing waste and conserving resources.
0: Okay. And And are you... Now in terms of skill set, people tend to fall into one of of, of just a few categories. They're either mainly worker people, they're detail people, they're uh, word people, people people, detail people, they're entrepreneurial, they're very social, they're artistic. Which would you say most defines you?
1: Uh, sorry, it's a, a long list. I didn't catch them all, but um, okay. Take,
0: we'll take them one at a time. Are you are, are you a word person that is like to write and speak, and you're really good at it?
1: No.
0: Are you a people person who just manages to get people to like him or like you quite quickly, and can persuade people to do your bidding? Uh,
1: I, I, I like you know. I'm pretty personable. I don't know about like the on what scale. Like, that kind of sounds like more being charismatic and. All well, that I can be, I guess it just depends
0: on the situation. Uh, are you a very deep? There are some people who are really wonderful at executing the details. They take care of all the little details and get it right. Is that you? Um, no. Okay. Are you artistic? Somebody who either is a great artist or photographer or can visual see things beautifully visually. Are you? Are you artistic at your core? No, I don't
1: think
0: so. Okay. Are you um entrepreneurial? Are you somebody who can identify unmet business needs or non profit needs and take that idea and turn it into a step by step practical plan that makes money? No. Okay. Um let's go back to your anthropology major. What made you major in anthropology?
1: Um, I think part of it was just um, you know, in undergrad and you take a course and it was really interesting and fascinating, so I just kind of stuck with it. I do not really have a, a plan for afterwards. Okay. It was just something that was fascinating.
0: Let's go down the sustainability route then. Um, if I said I was the president of a nonprofit or a company that was reducing waste, that was you know reducing plastics in the ocean or did a, a more effective job of recycling um, plant matter into usable fertilizer or whatever, and I said, I'll give you any job in my organization you want, as long as you do it well. Do you know what job you would want in that organization?
1: Um. No, I, I don't know. I, I guess that's something I have to. Okay, to think let me ask you. Let me give you
0: choices. I, you know, I'm kind of a pit bull. i try trying to keep keep pushing at you until we come up with something that you can at least get off the phone and research. Would you? I'll give you two choices, and, you, and we'll keep giving you two choices so you find one you like. Would you rather be a fundraiser, or would you rather go from site to site uh, cleaning up recycled materials?
1: Right. Probably from site to site.
0: Okay. Would you rather go uh, site to site to businesses or residences? Uh, businesses. Okay. Um, would you. Uh, would you rather go to restaurants and make sure that that food that they throw out from the buffets gets served to people who need it, or would you rather go and pick up recycled uh, cooking oil and, and repurpose it for, for uh, environmentally sustainable practices? I think
1: the, the food waste.
0: Okay. So now we're going to play another game. Can I ask you what your first name is? A.J. A.J., great. A.J., so, we're going to create an AJ meter, and the AJ meter goes from 0 to 10. With 0 means the idea makes you puke, and 10 means it gives you ecstasy. The idea of getting paid a reasonable amount of money to go from restaurant to restaurant consistent with state of California laws, I'm well aware that there are some restrictions, but as I understand they're getting loosened, that your job is to, uh, consistent with the law, to pick up um, a restaurant extra food and distribute it to, the, let's say, just call it the needy. On the AJ meter, where does that score from 0 to 10 with 10 being the ecstasy and 0 mean you hate it? Uh, probably like a 5. Okay. What keeps it from being a 10?
1: Um, I think that just the, like, going around and delivering it to kind of food kitchens isn't um, necessarily like what I'd want to go.
0: Okay? But you like the concept, is that correct?
1: Yeah, I think I, I'm more interested, I guess, in the environmental impacts rather than the human side of, like, um, you know, work, working with, uh, like, the homeless.
0: So would that. you rather work in a government agency that's involved in administering, developing and administering policy regarding sustainability?
1: Uh, Yeah, potentially.
0: And does it? Do you have an opinion as to whether it matters whether it's government, a company, or a nonprofit, or are they all open for you? Which which do you feel you'd fit in best with? Do you know?
1: Uh, I mean, the pros and cons of like you know, working a government job, stability and things like that, but also slower moving and more red tape versus a nonprofit, where the pay pay's probably not going to be as good, but maybe have more freedom and. Um, you know, actually might be able to get things done.
0: There's some truth to that. And does the wise man within you say, therefore, non-profit or government at this point in your life?
1: At this point, probably, <laughs> you know, like most people in the Bay Area, you need a, a steady paycheck, that's, uh, so I'd probably go government.
0: Okay. And what city do you live in?
1: Uh, I'm, I'm in the, uh, like, Oakland, East Bay.
0: Great. So what if I asked you very simply... Do you have access to a computer either at home or at a public library? Yeah. Great. What if I asked you to look at City of Oakland and Alameda County Environmental, just go to the City of Oakland website and the Alameda County website. There are no doubt agencies that deal with sustainability of various sorts. And look and see, go to any of the agency websites that sing out to you, and then do some reading of what they're doing, what their initiatives are. And because they're public agencies, they often list some of their relatively senior people. And then email one or more of them asking for an informational interview to get a sense of whether it is realistic or unrealistic to get a job, at least, even if it's a part-time temp thing, to get in the door in one of those agencies. How do you feel about that, A.J.? sounds like a reasonable plan. Okay. I'll quit while I'm ahead. <laughs> All right? <laughs> I, th- I thank you for calling work with Marty Namco. All right. Thank you. you 'd be well. All right. If you want me to be a pit bull with you, I'm more than willing. Uh, they're called workovers. I will usually stay with you just about as long as I can until I can give you a practical step forward in your work life, whether you're self-employed, uh, unemployed, uh, no, well-employed, a ton of well-employed people who are still unhappy. The phone number here for work over wherever your station in life. I love that radio pun. Whatever your station in life, your station you're listening to is K A L W. The phone number here, work with Marty Nemco, 415 841. 4134, that's 415 841 4134. Joanne, I'm seeing a light there. Is that uh, good? Yes. Okay. We'll just wait a moment, and then we'll go to the phones. Just a moment. And after I finish this call or two, I will continue with uh, what I call future-ready careers. So let's go back to the phones. Welcome to work with Marty Nemco. It's your turn on the air. How can I help you?
2: Hello. Hi. Um, I was just calling for career advice.
0: Okay. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your situation?
2: Um. Well, I'm an artist.
0: hmm
2: and um, recently graduated with a degree that um, covers some arts, and I'm wondering if I should go back to school or um, just try to find a job in the arts. But I'm also not really interested in the jobs in the arts.
0: Mm-hmm. And has the world given you sign there? Are signs that they're willing to pay you for your art. In other words, either... Yeah, yeah, tell me more about that. Tell me what signs Um, you've gotten.
2: Well, I sell a lot of my art when I put it out there. Like, uh, the times where I've had pieces in galleries, a lot of them have sold.
0: Wow, great. Yeah, but
2: I didn't charge very much because I didn't really... It was my first time, and I wasn't really uh-huh. thinking I would even
0: sell them. Understandable. Hey, that's something that probably anybody would do for a But that's congratulations. The fact you even sold it for a small amount says something, because that means that people are willing to give their part of their home to your work. Uh, yeah. And that's lovely. So good. Let's stay there for a moment. Can you tell me a little bit about the style of art you do? Uh, and that may be more... Because it sounds like you need to give a shot to seeing if you can make at least a subsistence, excuse me, a subsistence living as an artist, maybe supplementing with, you know, the proverbial day job. But tell me a little bit about your art, and let's see if we can come up with a smart plan for making a reasonable living from your art.
2: Um, well, I the pieces that I sold was when I was really into photography. Uh-huh. And they were, um, I did a lot of photography of my friends and nature, and, um, they were kind of, like, um, abstracted forms and, like, darker, like, the lighting was pretty dark, and those all sold really popular, popularly, but I've been more into painting, Mm -hmm and I've been painting more recently and not doing as much photography.
0: And have you... Do you have... Forgive the business term, but it's appropriate here. Do you have much inventory of, of your paintings? hmm
2: Yeah, I do. Okay. And I, I did sell one recently also
0: for not very much. But congratulations. Thanks. If you trusted the goddess within yourself, what would be the venue where you... What, what galleries or what shows or whatever... Uh, what fairs, where would you try to sell your art or museums even, you know, I know that's thinking awfully big, but
2: mm-hmm. um,
0: where would you try to make public your painting work to test out the its potential for making money? Wait, what? Sorry. Would it be? A, is there a particular gallery? Is there a particular um, art fair? Is there a particular museum? Is there a particular corporate art buyer? Where would knowing your art, what does your intuition tell you would be the right place to test market your paintings? Um, I guess like
2: galleries, probably, but I don't know that many galleries.
0: Well, what if we said, look, the galleries that have that sold your previous work, mm-hmm. would they be inappropriate for your paintings, or would they be an appropriate yeah. first stop? Yeah,
2: they wouldn't be inappropriate at all, but, um, yeah, they
0: wouldn't. So as a baby step, I love baby steps, if I were to say take your three, three is kind of a magic number, your three paintings that you're most proud of, take it... If, if they'll let you, you know, at a time when they're not busy, like a Tuesday morning at 10 a.m., mm-hmm. go with your three paintings to the gallery. Make make your goal three galleries, three paintings, three galleries, okay. and go there during a time that's not busy and ask if they would indeed take it, you know, take, I think it's usually a 50% consignment where they they keep 50% you keep 50%. Is, it, is that a, I love low-risk actions, low-risk baby steps. Do you believe in your heart of hearts it's worth going to three galleries with three of your paintings to see what how they react to your work?
2: Um, yeah. Yeah? You mean
0: like um? I'm sorry, you've just cut out what did you say? You've Hello? cut out Yeah, are you there?
2: Yeah, I said like galleries I've never been to.
0: Well, start with the one that you've sold. You said you sold a couple of your photography work at one of your galleries. Go to one of those and then two others that are geographically convenient and that may have art that is compatible with yours. So if your stuff is tends to be your painting tends to be abstract and of uh, and of a, you know, you said of young people, your friends or, you know, go to gallery, you know, look on the internet to find galleries that have stuff of that nature so that your work will fit in with those galleries existing inventory and at least that's a starting place you know you does bring that make it to sense them. huh and to bring it to them yes yeah I guess
2: people don't really do that anymore which seems like a good idea
0: yeah I've heard that too that people don't do it anymore but what do you have to lose and again yeah. my, my trick is don't bring too much and go during a time when they're not busy you know I yeah. go up by art galleries all the time and if it's not like Saturday afternoon at 3 in the afternoon they're sitting around. Yeah, so, that's true. You know, so I would, if I went at 10 in the morning on a Tuesday, you know, I'm guessing that my results will be better, you know, perhaps than just sitting in, you know, or, I mean, if you want, maybe, the, you know, the more modern rule would be, you know, take JPEGs of your three favorite things and email it to them. Yeah, you could do that. Yeah, but, but I, the, I feel like going in person would right. be... Right. It's much harder to say powerful. no to a person than to a, than to a JPEG. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I'm gonna let you go. Give that a shot. Okay,
2: thank you.
0: Yeah, if you feel like it, give me a call next week. Let me know how it worked. Would you?
2: Sure, thank you.
0: All right, be well. All right, now continuing to keep my promise, I'm going to. I'll give out the phone number though. If you got to work, if you want to work over, you got a work related problem, the phone number here. Work with Marty Nemco, four one five eight four one four one three four that's four one five eight four one forty one thirty four. Um before I went to the calls, um I uh was sharing what I believe are mega trends that g- will give rise to jobs of the future that are appropriate to think now. Now everybody's been saying for the last ten years now the robots are coming. You know, and some of it's old news. Like robotic surgery, that's old news. Like, you know, it's been a while now that a surgeon in the US can perform surgery on a patient in Africa. Uh, farming is growing ever more robotic. Uh, the current innovation is that robots can now see you know, with their robot eyes when tomatoes are at the perfect ripeness for picking. And, I, and the coming decade, you know, there's some debate. There's this wonderful listener to the show whom I like a lot named Donald Dubois. He thinks that automated vehicles are not going to come for uh, more than a decade but the consensus is it's going to be a little sooner than that. It's not going to happen right away, that's for sure. He convinced me that it ain't going to happen in two years, notwithstanding what Elon Musk says. But certainly in the next decade or two, we're going to see more automated vehicles that are more automated, maybe not perfectly. You know, maybe we'll not be able to ascertain every piece of debris, whether it really is a leaf or it's a, a bird or, a, you know, whatever. But we're going to see certainly vehicles will become more automated, and trucks and buses and trains. Now, of course, some activists are fighting automation, or they're worried about the loss of jobs, and other people, you know, just put their heads in the sand, but still other people decide to pursue a career in robotics. They believe, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. So again, that is a field. Robotics ain't going away. That I'm sure. The next kind of mega trend that holds uh, career prospects uh, is the what I call the nuclear option. I mentioned it briefly before. Um, solar and wind and geothermal, they're all great, but in total, they just don't provide enough energy, even if we cut back enormously. So there is that growing consensus that nuclear needs to be part of the energy mix. And that consensus is driving a lot of increased investment, including from Bill Gates, uh, in the development of safer, less expensive, and more compact nuclear power. Now, this is a long-shot prediction, but I think that you know, 20 years from now, We're going to have vehicles that are powered through a combination of nuclear and solar. Maybe even one-person aircraft, they're going to replace the car, which would get rid of some of the increasingly nightmarish commutes we're suffering here in the Bay Area. So um, I think that nuclear engineers are going to find uh, (coughs) an explosion of jobs. Next megatrend that is going to provide, I think, uh, jobs for the future is what I call communal micro-housing there are many many experts are predicting a decline in the amount of good employment as i said earlier and that is going to increase the pressure to provide lower cost housing and that's why we're seeing a boom in rental apartments and a decline in the price at least of upscale houses and that's likely going to accelerate and i think that's that's going to culminate in what i call micro apartment buildings that consist of, like, homes that are just a few hundred square feet that will squeeze the most out of each square foot. You've seen those tiny houses, you know, loft beds and pull-out stoves and so on. Anyway, those micro-apartments, I'm guessing, will be in large enough buildings to justify communal dining, like at universities, and maybe even local health and social services provided in those micro-apartments. So... There may indeed be jobs in that whole space, not just managing them, but psychologically oriented types could find a niche in helping people deal with living in such small communal quarters. Because I remember I grew up, you know, in the late 60s, um, and the communes um, where they, they proliferated around UC Berkeley, and then a couple of years later, they uh, they mainly disbanded because too many people uh, were fighting over, you know, they, they, they mouthed the good game about, you know, the socialist ideal, but when it came time for them to do the dishes, they weren't willing to do the dishes. So, um, there's that. Anyway, um, I'm, I, we've got calls. I'm going to go to the phones. So... Um, Uh, but I will give out the phone number if you've got a last time I'm going to give out the number if you've got a work problem the phone number here work with Marty Nemco 415-841-4134 let's go to the phones welcome to the show it's your turn on the air how can I help you hi it's you are you there are you there last time are you there hello oh you are okay hi how can I help you
3: I was interested in transitioning from a job I do for a company uh, and doing it for myself as a service and okay. creating my own company out of it.
0: Okay. Uh, how, much wanted, of a, how much of a non-compete do you have? How much risk there are? Are you, you planning to take their customers, their technology, or is this something that you're not worrying about any of that?
3: Not at all. They, they don't specialize in this. It's something that I've actually been appointed to do as a distraction from our main goals. Okay. And... Uh, it, it's something that we've needed greatly, so we, we keep finding uh, the, the need for it, but really without a, a, a person ever suited for it. I was not hired for this job, okay, but great. it's become quite attached. Quite
0: a I can be much more helpful to you if you tell me what it is.
3: Okay, so basically it's operations, and uh, because we're doing tech, tech development, research and development, the operations side wasn't something that we were ever um, specialized in individually, and we're too small to have our own uh, operations person or facilities manager and so there's this niche of uh, startup where you have a few individuals uh, you have a personnel size of maybe five to ten right and it's not necessarily enough uh, to justify having your own facilities manager yet I find myself spending 90 80, 80 to 90 percent of my time doing just that
0: great so you're talking about facilities as in everything from janitorial to uh, to uh, you know fixing the physical plant is that the kind of operations you're talking about
3: but yes, but beyond that because there's so many specialized equipment and uh-huh. all those need to be acquired the Great. Space is special, the space is specialized there's uh, a lot of in between uh, middleman stuff I've had to do i've I've acquired uh, lots of equipment to use second hand just to save the company money there's uh, I, I can I can go on and on but basically what, what I wanted to ask was um, I guess how to approach the subject with, with one's boss and then what to ask uh, and for, for a if you wanted to do it on an hourly, how do you compare it to your own hourly, salary? if you want to do it as a service, uh, if you want to make it your business, how do you do it in order to compensate for the taxes you'll be paying as a business, the it, benefits that you will no longer have. As, Great as, as question.
0: A, as okay. So first of all, um, I would, because this company you work for is too small to have somebody full-time doing this. Is that correct? Uh, uh, yes. Great. So what I would do is I would... Um, I would, before I spoke to him, I would create a little business plan. I'm going to riff for a minute or so about how I would run this business. I would create a a mini business plan that has a list of the various services you would provide and the products that you could provide for these various entities. I would make a I would have a description of the 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 uh, of how you would find these five to ten person companies that have physical spaces that need this kind of support. I would um, plan on giving uh, talks at the conferences that they attend, physical conferences, or virtual forums that that they're operative on. I would potentially create little YouTube videos of the range of things that you would do. So now you've got, and then I would have a just, you know, all PL guessworks and business plans are just too general to, to be really valid, but it's helpful to have a projected list of costs, expenses, what, what you would charge, yes, to ensure that you're covering your insurance, your social, your paid self employment tax, your overhead, and I would encourage you to really start your business really working from home, if you possibly can, and minimal rental space or minimal people so that you don't run out of money. Uh, And if you get so big that you really need an office, you really need to hire people more than just by the hour, then fine, that's later. Once I had that plan in place, a draft plan that I would run by a few of your friends if you have at other companies in this five to ten person space, then I would go to your boss, not reveal too much, because I don't want him to think that it's this big money maker that he's going to want a piece of. I would tend uh, to, right? I would tend to understate, uh, but I, I want to have my knowledge first. Then I go and say, hey, you know, I'm spending a lot of time on this operation stuff. You certainly don't need me full time doing this, but I'm kind of intrigued by doing it outside. Um, uh, what do you say? I do it for you, and I'll do it for you, say quarter time and the rest of the time I'll, you know, I'll do this and, else, and then put it in writing so you don't get your butt sued. What do you think about that plan?
3: It sounds great, but I'm just curious about uh, what, what, what are the cautions of, of the write-up? That to, to what do I need to protect myself from?
0: Well, it's, I'm not an employment attorney, and this show there's a show called Your Legal Rights. It's on every Wednesday at 7, I believe. That uh, you know, where you could you know ask a lawyer, or you know just get pay for an hour's consultation about what kind of protections. That's why I do want you certainly for him not to come after you for you know violating intellectual property that he has or whatever.
3: Okay, I
0: see. You know,
3: yeah, that shouldn't be a problem. But yeah, I will definitely uh,
0: seek that advice. That's a a well worth the the you know the cost of one hour with a lawyer could save you a lot of headaches and just simply psychological peace of mind. It's insurance.
3: Of course, is there a magic ratio of like I make x amount of dollars per hour, so I should therefore charge this much of the consultation as a you know consultant fee that is uh x times whatever uh, in order if to. if
0: i wouldn't go it that way dollars. i wouldn't think about your hourly rate. I would think about how much you're saving the company if in fact you're uh-huh. saving the company a fortune, if you're saving right. them just to argument's sake you know a given company uh two hundred thousand a year um you know, and you're going to charge 25000 for it, but even if it's only going to take you 20 hours, you know, it's fine. You're not, it's not about, you know, you're trying to make a, a living, I think, based on what you're, based on a percentage of what you're saving them, not not your hourly rate. Does that make sense?
3: That's perfect. That makes perfect
0: sense. Okay. I thank you for calling work with Marty Namco. Thank you, Marty. Okay. Be well. I've only got a, a minute, and I w- wanted to get through a little more of the, uh, of these careers for the future, Um, I didn't get to tonight. I was also going to talk about uh, careers for people who are bad at math, but I'll save that for next week. Um, I want to just, because it's kind of fun, I want to talk about next-generation entertainment. Um, This is going to likely be ever more important because of the likely significant increase in unemployment and underemployment caused by automation and offshoring, just-in-time hiring. Well, one likely breakthrough in recreation is what I call the immersion room. This is not like these escape rooms now. It's like the next generation of that. In public venues and as costs decline in homes, immersion rooms are going to allow people to interact as though they're in a jungle or in outer space or as a blood cell coursing through the human body. Those rooms, walls and ceilings and floor, are going to be video screens. And the environment in which the person moves is going to yield reactions from holographic 3D images. And less dramatic, but still vastly entertaining yet more portable and cheap, will be sunglass sized VR headsets with earbuds molded into the headset's arms. So I think the, you know, working on those development teams would be invaluable. In any case, and fun. In any case, it was fun. Um, uh, the, is, that is work with Marty Nemko for this week. I want to thank my board operator, Joanne Marr, and, of course, all of you for listening and calling in. Please join me again next Thursday at 7. You can call in for a workover. Plus, careers for procrastinators, careers for people who are bad with people, and careers for boomers. And if I have time, I'll do careers for people who are bad in math, like I said. Anyway, until then, this is Marty Nemko reminding you that we find comfort among those who agree with us, growth among those who don't.